Thank you. Who, give, give a clap. I got two. I got two over here. You know, I always was curious about labor. It just seems to me like when you celebrate labor, you ought to work on that day, right? No, no, no. Some of you are like, I got to work. But uh, happy Labor Day, and I'm glad that you're here. We are starting a new series today. It's just the way the calendar worked out. Um, we weren't going to start it today, but I wanted to share with you my uh, India trip, so we bumped a week. So starting a series on Labor Day, everyone who's not here today, you're just going to have to tell them they've got to go out. We're recording, right? They're either online. If you're online, hi. Uh, we're glad that you're joining us. If not, they can go listen to this first sermon uh, on on Jonah. And we've entitled the series Runaway, because that's what Jonah was. He was a runaway prophet. And uh, so... Last week, I shared with you, and I want to start off a little different today. Last week, I shared with you uh, the last sermon of the last series on community and life together and how to become fully you, you have to engage in community. I brought to you this biblical model of community, this Jesus-centered community, and that is what the church is. And the big idea was this, you and Jesus might have it all figured out. But if you're not connected to a Jesus-centered community, you're not where He wants you to be. Holiness finds its expression in community. And so we must be in community. Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by the number of times you read your Bible. Nope. By your church attendance. Nope. How many times you pray a day. Nope. Those are all very, very important. But Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. You can't mimic that. You can't pretend that. You can't be something that you're not. Well, this last week, I got a chance to see that Jesus-centered community in action. And I just wanted to tell you a quick story. Um, many of you know that Ron Roberts, a very important part of our church, died this Thursday um, of heart failure, and I remember getting the call about seven in the morning that they had Ron down here at Cameron. Uh, I remember getting out the door, down to the, the emergency room, walked in, there's Bonnie, and you know Bonnie, Bonnie's in her wheelchair, and Ron just took care of Bonnie, and a uh, wonderful couple. Um, I, she was sitting there, Ron was wired up, and I mean, they were, they were uh, giving him medicine and taking care of him. And I remember sitting there talking with Ron, and we were laughing. Um, he was in good spirits. He was just had some discomfort in his chest, but he had he was in good spirits. They were planning to take him by ambulance down to Fort Wayne, and we were laughing because he was telling stories about working with my father at Meyer, um, which was funny. Uh, him and Dad were lunch buddies uh, when they worked together at Meyer, and uh, Ron coded right there and. It was scary. I remember the room flooded with people. Um, they were trying to revive Ron, and Bonnie broke down. I took her to a room. We began to pray. Um, they revived Ron, but immediately they said, we're flying him down. And um, so we began to wait for the helicopter. Uh, he, they got him stable, uh, as stable as they could, and they loaded him up and took him off. I called Brenda, and I said, Brenda, I said, Bonnie can't drive. Bonnie's here. And um, what can we do? And she made a phone call to a couple in our church, Dave and 
and Sam Postoloff, and they're, they're mad at me right now for saying this, but they dropped everything, and they were there. And they picked Bonnie up, and they drove her to Fort Wayne. We, we were going to follow later. We, we thought maybe he was stable, but before they made it there, they found out that Ron had, had passed away um, by the time they got there. Let me tell you, those two loved on Bonnie. They prayed with Bonnie. By the time Pastor Bob and I got there, that woman was being supported and lifted. That is what I was preaching on last week. Community. Taking care of one another. Loving one another. Crying with one another. Embracing one another. And uh, going out of your way to be the hands and feet of Jesus to a woman who was married to this man for 49 years. And... um, just want you to know that the funerals is going to be um, at Beams in Fremont, Saturday at 11 a.m. And the um, the service, the, the the visitation will be Friday, from five to eight. After the funeral on Saturday, we will be having a, a, a dinner here. Um, everyone is invited. I'm sure that we'll be getting phone calls out uh, this week to ask for donations and help with that as well. But I wanted to share that story because that's an inspiring. Let me tell you something. That, that couple over there inspired me and in, in how they lived out the life of Jesus in the community of the faith. And here's the funny thing. There's not a person in this room that wouldn't have done that. That's what I love about our church. You are a loving, embracing church. And um, Jesus is proud of you. He is proud of you. Amen. Give yourselves a hand, all right? Yeah, to being such a great church. Um, we are sad to see Ron go. When I went in to see Ron, um, where Ron used to live, I put my hand on his chest and I said, well done, old man, well done. He loved Jesus with his whole heart, had lots of conversations about Jesus, and he is celebrating in a new place today, amen? But his wife will need your love and your support and encouragement in these days ahead. So continue to love on them. Well, today I said, mentioned we're starting a brand new four-week series on the book of Jonah about the runaway. You know, there's a few major themes in Jonah. As Brandon mentioned to you, you're probably most familiar with the fish. Uh, That is the part of the Jonah story that probably fits the best into our children's stories, right? Jonah and the fish. But there is a whole lot of other things that are going on in Jonah and in Jonah's life. And I want to just, we're going to look at the whole book. It's just four short chapters. And um, we're just going to break it down into four weeks and uh, tear it apart and look at it. But a few of the major themes that are going to come up, and I just wanted to share those with you so you can kind of make a mental note of them. One of the things you're going to see in this book is just the incredible, relentless love of God for the lost. That he would love a city like Nineveh. Not even the people of, of God. Not even Jews. They weren't Hebrews. They were in Assyria. But God had a love for them. And sent his word through Jonah to them. You'll also see God's relentless pursuit of disobedient people. Jonah was a runaway. He was disobedient to God. God called him and said, I need you to do this. And Jonah said, nuh-uh, ain't going to happen. And God was relentless to get through to Jonah. Not because God necessarily, there was something special there, but God needed this for Jonah. Jonah needed this. And God's, the people of Nineveh needed, needed this. And God continued to go after Jonah 
So you'll see this relentless pursuit of God after people. And then you'll also see this idea that nobody is really out of God's reach. There's nowhere you can go. There's nowhere you can run. There's nowhere you can hide that God cannot find you. And that is a major theme of Jonah. If you don't know the story of Jonah, you need to know this right up front. We're going to talk about this today. Jonah was a man of God. He was a prophet to the people of Israel. What does that mean he was a prophet to the people of Israel? I mean, God's word came to Jonah and Jonah would go to the people and declare his word to God's people. And Jonah thought that was just my job. But now God was calling him to go to another people group. A people group that he didn't like. A people group he didn't care for. And Jonah said, nuh-uh. Ain't going to happen. So Jonah tried to run from God. He was a runaway. You're going to see today that God calls Jonah to do something that Jonah just doesn't want to do. And maybe God's calling you to do something that you just don't want to do. It scares you. It frightens you. Maybe He's calling you to something that is very uncomfortable for you. And you're saying, God, it just ain't going to happen. So, I wanted to do my my intro today. You say, whoa, whoa, wasn't that your intro? I mean, man, you're 10 minutes in here, all right? No, it wasn't my intro. That was the setup for the intro. I want to do something different today. I want you to be the introduction to the sermon today. So I'm going to ask two or three of you, very specifically, to think about a time in your life when you ran from God. You know clearly and specifically what God was asking of you, calling you, and you ran from Him. You say, what do you mean? Do you mean I went out and just started jogging? No, you literally ignored God, did something completely different than what He told you to do, and you went the other direction. Two minutes. I just need a minute or two of your time. I need three people. Who wants to do it? Who's got something on their mind? A story of a time. Let me... Let me let me start you off. You know, everything needs kind of a primer, right? And so let me prime the pump a little bit here. I was running from God for 10 years. God had called me to do something specific that I knew he wanted me to do. And you've heard my story. The reason I'm doing this is because you've heard my stories. I want to hear yours, and everybody wants to hear yours. But for me specifically, this is the primer. I was running from God And I was pursuing, and God started to really bug me about that calling about 10 years ago. And he started saying, and I just knew, I knew in my gut what I needed to be doing, and I wasn't doing it. And I thought everything was fine, and then a storm hit. We literally bought a house, and I lost my job. And in the middle of that storm, God made it clear to me, this is what I need you to do. That's what I'm talking about. Who has a story like that? Oh, Lord, you ain't busy enough. Either that or they're all still running. Okay, let me tell you right up front. We're all runaways. Every single one of us is a runaway. God's called you and you've ignored him. Come on. All right, Pastor Bob.
It's a true story. And 40 years later. Amen. Uh, Somebody, Cheryl? Yeah. Amen. We're thank we're thankful too because you're probably. And we're thankful you gave up too. Yeah, that's awesome. These are great. One more. Yes. Amen. Well, here's the one constant, too, in all that is that we all have this in common. We're all runaways. At some point in our life, we were runaways. And even, and Cheryl brings up a good point, even, 
even after we come back to Christ, there are still moments God calls us to obedience, and it's the fight or flight. We fight Him, but we kind of are like, can you really win against God? So we run. And, and how do we run? We, we run by filling our lives with a lot of other things to kind of quiet out that voice inside we hear. Like she said, I've always heard that voice, and He's always there, and He's always there for you. That's called grace, prevenient grace. Even before you're saved, God is speaking to you. His grace is in your life. Fight or flight, we all have been a runaway. We usually um, are smart enough, like I said, to not fight God, so instead we run. And we say, no, God, it ain't going to happen. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to speak to them. I don't want to give this up. I don't want to do that. And so we run from God. And you might be running from God today. Maybe there's something in your life today that you know clearly you should be doing or not doing. And God spoke to you in a loving, gentle, compassionate way that He does. And He's pressing on you to go His way because it's the best way. So let's jump right into the very first chapter. And I just want to walk through uh, the first 16 verses with you. The first two say this, and I'm going to tell you the story of Jonah now. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now I want to stop there and say this. This is not an easy ask of Jonah. I know he's a preacher. I know he's a prophet. I know he's a man of God. I know he's an Israelite who has the law and he's grown up his whole life being in the people of God. But to ask him to go and preach the Word of God to the Assyrians is a hard ask. It's difficult for him. He despised this people. And if you know the biblical history and the story, the history of Israel and the Assyrians, they were in constant conflict. The Assyrians were a much larger nation than the Israelis, and they were always trying to push at their borders and overtake them. And they were an evil group of people. Nineveh was Israel's enemy, part of the Assyrian nation. Their kings were well-known historically, not just biblically, but historically. The kings of Nineveh were known for their cruel and terrible brutality. How do we know this? Because they were so proud of it, they spent great amount of money and expense and trouble to chronicle it. They took great pride in their cruelty and brutality toward people like Jonah. And here God was asking Jonah to go. I think Jonah would rather God just Sodom and Gomorrah Nineveh than to send the Word of God to them. They were undeserving. But here's an interesting thing. It wasn't so much the task of God that Jonah had a problem with. It was the end result of the task. Jonah Maybe he was a little afraid. Maybe he was just being lazy. Maybe he was just preoccupied. 
Prophets typically weren't fearful people. They could stand in front of their people in threat of, of, and most of them were killed by their own people. Prophets spoke the God, God's word boldly. What was the problem? He just didn't like the people. He was afraid that they might repent. The people might turn and be saved. He was fine with going to Nineveh and prophesying about destruction and judgment. Bring it on, God. They're evil people. They don't love you. They don't know you. They don't have the Word. They're not running after you. Why should we go and try to save them? It was God's mercy that troubled Jonah. God might just do what He said He would do and bring the people of Nineveh to Himself. Jonah loved his own nation. He loved his own people probably too much. Yet, and this is a theme, God considered Nineveh worthy. Even in their evil, even in their running from God, even in their multiple gods that they had and their idolatry and all of the things that you could imagine going on. If you look into the original language, the language actually says, when it says in there that Nineveh, I believe it says this, he says, Nineveh, because its wickedness has come up before me, it actually gives a word picture of this terrible stench is coming into my nose and it's Nineveh. That's how wicked that city was. That God was smelling their stench. Are there any people groups today that come to mind that you think God shouldn't care about? People who have no regard for God, no regard for His Word. You can't trust them. They think differently than we do. They act differently than we do. They say things differently than we do. They believe differently than they do. And yet, in this story, we see this truth about who God is. That He considers even Nineveh worthy to send His Word to. Verse 3. But Jonah ran away. There's the runaway prophet. He ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went abroad and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So the Word of God comes to Jonah. He doesn't say, Jonah, I need you to go talk to my people, your people. I need you to go talk to this city that stench is coming up to my nostrils. And it's really bothering me. So they need the Word of God. Go preach it. And I'll have mercy on them if they turn. Jonah's like, I ain't. And so he takes off the other way. Here's the interesting thing. I asked myself and I wrote it down. Where are you going, Jonah? Question mark. I wrote that down. Where are you going, man? You're a prophet. You know God. You're running away from God. Where is that even possible? Where are you going to go? How far are you going to go? 
Now here's the interesting thing if you look at a map. Jonah actually tried to get to the furthest spot in the opposite direction he could go from Nineveh on a map. Tarshish? Does anybody even know where that is? I do. Does anybody know where that's at? It's in Spain. It's interesting that life can be a lot like that when disobedience and rebellion comes into our hearts toward God, against God. It always leads us further and further away from where God wants us to be. The more we say no, the further we get away from where God wants us to be. Disobedience is a path in the wrong direction. So, it says to, in there, go back to the verse for me, just back one. It says that he paid the fare. I don't know why this is important, but I looked it up. I thought, okay, he's paying for this. He's actually putting money down, not to take a vacation. He, he's not going on a, on a vacation or a trip, or he's not taking some sabbatical from prophesying. and He's not doing that. He's actually paying money to get away from God. And so I was curious. I wondered, is it a lot of money? Was it a little money? Well, it doesn't really tell us in the Scripture, but if you can look into the historical, we know this. We know that it would have been a very large amount for him to catch a a ship from, from Joppa to Tarshish. A very large amount. So Jonah paid a very expensive fare to get to this Phoenician city in southern Spain. All because he simply didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. Isn't it funny the amount of life we'll spend running from God? We'll say no to God at the expense of our relationships. We'll say no to God at the expense of our marriages. We'll say no to God at the expense of our finances. We'll say no to God at the expense of our careers. We'll continue to say no to God as long as we can run away and take. And what ends up happening is it costs us every time more and more and more. All to get away from God. Running from God costs us personally. But it also affects those around us. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind. So he's on the ship now. They're sailing to Tarshish. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Our God's not working. Maybe yours will. Call on your God. 
maybe He will take notice on us so that we will not perish. Is there anywhere in the world that you can go to hide from God? Here's the interesting thing. God is Lord of the land and God is also Lord of the sea and the storm. Jonah's rebellion, his disobedience cost him a lot, but it also began to cost those around him. God sends this storm to get Jonah's attention. Jonah is responsible for the storm. The crew are now caught up in Jonah's running from God. It's Jonah's disobedience that that costs them greatly in cargo and also about to cost them their lives. Disobedience will always have an indirect and a direct impact on the world around you. When you live your life without God, when you live your life running from God, sin controls you and it will always directly and indirectly affect everyone around you. You say, what do you mean indirectly? Think about the people. Yeah. I like that. That's a great ringtone. My wife's ringtone is whip it. Whip it good. That's my wife's ringtone. So when I, somebody starts telling me to whip it, I know it's my wife, right? Yeah. It's never mind. I thought you'd find that funny, but maybe you don't. Not everything I say is worth saying. But anyway, how, you say, well, how do you mean indirectly? What about those people in Nineveh? They continue to live in their sin and they need the Word of God. The Bible tells us how can they believe if they don't hear? And how can they hear if we don't tell them? So indirectly, the people of Nineveh are dying and living in sin and in evil because Jonah refuses to follow God's plan for him. And there's people in your life, neighbors and friends and family members, who are indirectly being affected because you refuse to obey God. You refuse to listen to God's plan for your life. And directly, well, just ask the men on the ship how direct that wind is when it hits them in the face. Family members, friends, neighbors, They've all gotten caught up in our disobedience and our rebellion. Listen, life's decisions are not made in a vacuum. I know last week we talked about this expressive individualism in America. That somehow we are so hard trying to be expressively individualistic that no, everybody just wants to be an island and they just, they just want to make their own decisions and nobody's going to tell me anything. But here's the problem. Decisions that you make will affect people around you. It always does. I've always told my girls, okay, I know you think this is your choice, but look, we're family. Who's going to bail you out? Who's going to clean up the mess? Who's going to come behind you and have to embrace you and pick you up because of bad choices that you make? You see what I'm saying? We've all made them, haven't we? And we all have people in our life who have suffered. The mom or dad who can't be faithful. 
rips rips apart a family forever. Scars, wounds. We don't make decisions in a vacuum. But when we're connected to one another as family and friends and community, running from God and disobedience to God will affect those around us. And Jonah found this out real quick. The people's disobedience affect other people every day. Verse 7. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity, right? I mean, a calamity this bad has got to be somebody's fault. That's what I tell my family when I'm yelling. They're like, Dad, it's not a big deal. I say, yeah, this is a big deal. Something this bad has got to be somebody's fault, right? And that's what these sailors are doing. They're like, something's going wrong. So we've got to cast. So they cast lots. And wouldn't you know it, the lot fell to Jonah. So they asked him, tell us. And now here's where it gets interesting. What kind of work do you do? (laughs) Ooh. Well, I'm a prophet. You're a prophet. That means you're close to God. Yeah, I'm a prophet. Okay, well, what country do you come from? Oh, I got to tell them. I'm an Israel. I'm a Hebrew. Oh, you're a Hebrew. You're the part of the group that's always saying you've got the one true God and that you're like this with God, hand in hand. You're a prophet of this one true God who's hand in hand. Here's another question. From what people are you? Well, the people of God. And look what he says. He says, he answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Can you imagine these guys? They're about to die. They've already thrown their cargo over. They're standing there in the ship. And here's this prophet telling them, yeah, I worship the guy that made all this. That was a problem for Jonah. Verse 10. This terrified them. Well, if you're the guy, a prophet, of the one true God who made the the sea and the land, what have you done? (laughs) What have you done, Jonah? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down? And here's the turning point for Jonah. He says, just throw me into the sea. I'll sacrifice my life for you. Just throw me into the sea. And all will become calm. I know this is my fault. This is the great... This that this great storm has come upon you. You cannot get to where God wants you to be when you're running, hiding, and lying. Jonah had a come-to-Jesus moment. And he admitted right there, this is on me. Jonah takes that first big step back to where God wants him to be. And that is admitting that you are the reason 
you are the one responsible for your life. Jonah owns up to it. He surrenders to the storm and offers himself to save the others. Sometimes the storms we go through, while cause us great discomfort, caused by our disobedience, are actually acts of grace. God is trying to get your attention. God is trying to turn you around. Verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. It's almost as though God wanted Jonah in the water. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. And Jonah's sitting there thinking to himself, Okay, they've changed their mind on this one. (laughs) Maybe we can row back and save my life, but they can't. And so now they're looking at Jonah. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. They took Jonah... And they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Him. They changed their religion. They began to... Can you imagine the stories these guys went back and told? You think they went back and told that they threw an innocent man overboard? Here's something that's interesting. These ungodly men who worshipped other gods, who don't know the Lord, they have more concern for Jonah's life than Jonah had for Nineveh. Think about that. When Jonah said, just throw me over, they're like, no, we're not going to do that, man. And they start rowing. And they work hard. They were more concerned for Jonah than Jonah was for Nineveh. And he was a man of God. The worship team's going to come and do my conclusion for me. Or Dan and Tracy, I'm sorry, it's going to come. There's a song. Even when, I'm, even when you're running. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to this song. Listen to the words of this song. Take in this message of Jonah and ask yourself, Lord, ask the Lord, Lord, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of the disobedience. Open my heart and my mind to where you want me to go, to what you want me to do. Just speak to me now. Word of God, come to me now because I'm tired of running. So listen to this song and then we'll close.